we're going to be this morning is the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Uh, that's the text uh, that we're looking at today. And then, of course, you know, next week we'll, uh, we'll finish up. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed going through the book of Galatians. And um, I'm kind of sad that we're moving on, moving on to the next thing. Um, the next book that I've got scheduled for us to go through is the book of Ecclesiastes. So feel free to start reading that. Um, just be aware that that book sometimes was a little depressing. But, you know, that was in the Old Testament, and we know the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus. So that book can be depressing because we still have the hope of our assurance in Christ. Amen? And so just read Ecclesiastes through the lens of knowing that you are a New Testament believer saved by Christ. Okay? So don't let the book bring you down. But that is where we're going next, and so just be aware of that. But as you find your way to Galatians 6, uh, chapters 1 through 10, hopefully you're there, I just want to pose this question to you for us to begin. What do you think of, of a creature in the animal kingdom? So you, so start, start going through your phylum and your species and your kinds and your families and stuff. So in, in your mind, when you think of the animal kingdom, what is one member of the animal kingdom that works heartily together as a team? What do you think of? That's what I thought of. Ants. That's absolutely right. Now, the other one, the, the second, second tier was probably bees, right? What do you got? Wolves. Those kind of can, yeah. Well, I thought of ants, you know? It sounds like many of you did too. Well, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 talks about the ant. And did you know uh, there are, there are uh, just a few? Now, of course, we know Adam you know, named all these things and stuff like that. But there's just a few scriptures in, in the Bible that talk about animals specifically. You know, there's the, there's the donkey. Uh, there's a bear that mauled some kids to death. Uh, there's, you know, lions that are mentioned. There's other things. But few are mentioned so positively as the ants are. And so I want to read to you what God records in his word in Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, he says. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. And so even in the Old Testament, uh, even in Proverbs, the book of wisdom, we are told to regard the ant. We're told to look at the ant. We're told to learn from this ant, right? And so maybe you're asking the question this morning, and you should be if you're awake and paying attention, great what in the world does that have to do with Galatians? I'm glad you asked that. Well, let's continue to consider the ant for just a moment. This ant that they're talking about there is diligent, wouldn't you say? Uh, they do their work when they're supposed to do their work. They're, they're storing up for themselves things during the harvest. And you probably know the old Aesop's fable, right, of the grasshopper and the ant. The grasshopper's playing around and joking around and stuff, and the ants are working, and the grasshopper goes to them and says, hey, come and dance and play with me. And the ant's like, no, man, I've got, I've got work to do. And then time goes on, and then later it's wintertime, and the grasshopper is starving, and he's looking longingly at the ant that has all this food, and he's wishing, man, maybe I should have worked a little harder and played a little less. And so we see that in Scripture. Some other things about the ants, they're very purposeful. That's what I said. They don't have a, a chief, you know. Um, now, 
probably when they were writing this, uh, maybe he knew this, maybe not, but it's inspired by the Lord. And so you'd say, oh, well, they do have a chief, they have a queen, and she lays eggs. Okay, but, but they're all given, they're all born into these tasks, right? Some are workers, some are soldiers, some are, some are nurses, some are farmers. Did you know the ants actually farm? And so they have all these different roles that they have, and they're born into these roles, and they just accept these roles, and they go about fulfilling these roles for the good of the colony. There's no oversight necessary, right? There's no foreman that has to say, hey, back to work. Even though Disney or Pixar or whoever it was made these movies, those aren't always accurate, I hope you know. There's a hierarchy and a structure. There's roles and responsibilities. Did you know that these ants actually teach each other? I don't know if you knew this or not, but the reason that they will follow in lines is because there is a, there is a first ant that will go out, a scout, and when he finds food, here's, here's a, here's, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but it just came to my mind. Did you know that ants, the way they find their way back, they actually count their footsteps? That's true. How weird is that? Useless information for you. But anyway, back to the ant. They teach others, they'll, they'll lay down a scent line so the other ones can follow it, so they go back and forth, and so they smell with their little feelers, and that's how they find their way to and fro things. They, so they teach each other. Uh, they're social, and they actually take care of their own dead. They have a burial ground for their own dead. Did you know that? So they'll remove them from the tunnels when they perish, and they'll bring them to the ant graveyard. They work together to survive and to multiply. They carry their own weight, literally, and they carry the weight of their collective group. Here's another cool thing. In the Amazon, well, maybe not just in the Amazon, but fire ants, probably all ants, but I know this specifically of fire ants, so I can tell you that truly. So fire ants, specifically, when there is water that will come, they will actually form a living raft. So if, if there's a flood coming and they're getting inundated with this water, they will take... They will take the most important ants, which the queen and the larva, right? Because without the queen, there's no more larva. Without the larva, there's no more ants, right? So they take the larva and they take the queen and they put her in the center of this raft and they will make a physical raft with their bodies locking on to one another. And that's how they will, and, and it says on the internet that they can survive for months floating down this river until they can finally reach some kind of land where they can build their next nest. Isn't that amazing? Now you're probably still asking, that's great, but what in the world does this have anything to do with Galatians? And I'm glad you asked. So my question to you is, what do ants and Christians have in common? Well, they ought to have a lot in common. We're going to look at that here in just a minute, but before we do, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we praise you for your goodness and faithfulness to us. You are the lamb who was slain, and yet you are also the good shepherd. You bear our burdens, you never grow weary, and you have given us fruit of your labors and the power of your spirit. Father, we confess that we struggle to fulfill the law of Christ. Thank you that Christ fulfilled the law for us. Jesus, help us to truly bear with one another. Teach us how to test our work rightly. Let us give generously and ever live with passion for you, for your gospel, and for your kingdom. God, we ask that in your name. Amen. So these ants can teach us a lot. Firstly, about how to work. He says, go to the ant sluggard, right? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and you'll end up in poverty. But what I think Paul would say about the ant and about the Christian life 
uh, is, is more so what we're going to find in the text today. Galatians 5, 25 through 26. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can, you're right there in 6. Uh, so he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And he says, let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So how do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, the first points that I have for, for you, uh, if you're filling out the notes, is, is the difference between bearing and boasting, or the, the tie between bearing and boasting. And if you think about ants, they're all bearing their own loads, they're all pulling together, and I don't think any of them would boast to the other one. For one reason, they're not going to boast to another because they're all almost absolutely identical. So what would the point of that be? They can all lift 10 times their own body weight, right? Not only that, but they also understand the the boasting is uh, useless because they're all trying to do the same goal. So Galatians 6, 1 through 5 is the first section of text I want to read with you so you can follow along on the screen or in your copy of God's Word. But it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So, we can see here right away some of the tie-in, I hope. But the first thing I want you to see in this text, again, if you're taking notes, is that there is a reality of burdens. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you should restore them uh, and to bear one another's burdens. So he tells us that this is for Christians. This is not a text. There are some parts of Scripture that are written to everybody, to the masses, and there are other parts of Scripture that are only written to those who are saved. Corinthians, I believe, is what tells us that, right? There are things that are spiritual that can only be interpreted spiritually. Gabe, when he was reading about the scripture, told us we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is not only our guarantee of the life to come and of salvation and of the resurrection and all those kind of things, but also is the interpreter for us. So as we read the Bible, there are some things that we cannot understand outside of God's divine uh, interpretation for us. And so we ought to pray for that. But he says, brothers, so that's us today, if, if you're here and you're in Christ. If you're saved, if you know that you are a child of God, brothers, sisters, he's talking to you. If anyone is caught in any transgression, and what is a transgression? A sin. And he says caught there. So does that mean that if you're not caught, then this doesn't apply to you? Or if you haven't caught somebody yet, then it doesn't apply to you? No, that's not what it's talking about there. This term for this caught there, this is to have it be detected or to come about suddenly. So there's kind of two ways you can look at this. It's either the idea of, okay, uh, this is something that you... you I used to hurdle. I think I told you guys that. Or I used to run track. E- either one's fine, but you can picture it in your mind, right? So you're, you're running on your race, and then all of a sudden you, your foot catches something, and you face plant on the ground. Or what's more likely for all of us to happen is you're going up a set of stairs, and all of a sudden that one stair that was supposed to be a little lower than what you thought it was catches your foot, and you kind of come down on the stairs, right? It's this idea of, of tripping up all of a sudden. Now, we all understand that some transgressions, some sins that we're in, are not that way. We're regularly in those sins, and it's only when somebody finds us out. So it can be interpreted that way, or it can be, hey, you were running so well, and then all of a sudden there was a sin that hit you, and so this is here. So it's either one of those is the way that this Greek can be, right? But the point is this. Brothers, Christians, 
If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I don't know if you remember this story about the woman who was caught in adultery. Do you remember that? These Pharisees, these Sadducees, this woman was caught in adultery. How they caught her in adultery, we don't know. There's all kinds of theories behind that, but they caught her in adultery, so they say, and they brought her before Jesus, and they said, hey, the law says to stone her. What do you say that we should do? And this famous text, right? Jesus gets down on the dirt. He starts writing in the dirt. We're not told what he's writing. He starts writing, and it says in the text that the oldest began to leave down to the youngest, and eventually, then Jesus was able to say to this woman, woman, who here who condemns you, right? Nobody. She was caught in a transgression. She was restored in a spirit of gentleness. But back to my first point, the reality of burdens is that all of us have burdens. All of us have burdens. There's not a single person here today who can say, hey, I've graduated. I am sinless. You don't have to worry about me. I don't need anybody else's help. We all have burdens to carry. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we need one another, which is the second part of this, the imperative for mutuality. He tells us here, and that's what ants demonstrate for us. That's what Paul would say we need to be doing. He says, Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Here's another famous story in Scripture. It happens in Genesis. Perhaps you know it. The Lord came to one brother who was out in the field, and he said, hey, where's your other brother? And his answer was, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? If you're unfamiliar with that, that's Cain and Abel. Cain had just killed Abel, and the blood of Abel was calling out to God. And God, being rich in mercy and slow to anger, knowing what had happened, came to Cain and actually gave him an opportunity to repent. And Cain's response was, I don't care about that, in essence. So our God is a God who tries to seek to restore us in a spirit of gentleness But he also helps us to understand, even from the very beginning, the imperative of mutuality. That's why it was not good for Adam to be alone. He needed a helpmate. Scriptures are out there, right? It is, uh, it's, it's in Ecclesiastes. I think I have it here. I'm, I'm sure that I do. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one or two, or uh, I'm sorry, let me start over. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So there's these three things. Oops. The reality of the burden, the imperative of mutuality, and the myth of self-sufficiency that we see here. We are called to restore one another. So this imperative of mutuality, Cain asked this question, where is Abel? Your brother says, I don't know, I'm not my brother's keeper. That is not what Jesus would have us to do. Now, I want you to see in the text here, too, he just got done talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He just got talking about, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, all, all of those and whatever ones that I missed. And here he says, you know, we ought to, if we live by the Spirit, we also ought to keep walk of the Spirit, which means how do we practice those things? 
We talked about some of that this last couple weeks when we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And then he gets into some real-life application. He says, when you're in the context of a church, he says, fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? This is the law of Christ. The law of Christ explains to us the reality of our burdens, that all of us have these sins in our lives or these issues that will come up. Now, in a minute here, he's, he's, he's going to go on. He's going to say, for each will have to bear their own load, right? That's in verse 5 of the text. I know it's not up there, but you have a copy of God's Word, I hope, with you. And he, so there's a difference in, in these words. Now, Paul is a good Greek author, and he knows the difference between burdens and loads. And so I want to explain that to you this morning, too. So what's the difference between burdens and loads? Well, you may already know, based on the context of what he's saying here, if you read it, let each one test his own work, and then he, have, he has a reason to boast for himself, uh, for each one will have to bear his own load. Now, but he's talking about these two things. He uses burdens and re- restoration, and he uses carrying their own things. So how might we think about that? Well, some ways that I would think about that is this. I'll give you some real-life real practical examples. Let's say, let's say you have a single mother who's in the congregation. She's, she's raising these children. Now, the burden that she has is because of something in, in, in the past, right? Now, she's either, she's either a single mother because of fornication, or she's a single mother because the marriage dissolved for some reason, or she's a widow. Any of those. So some of those are caused by sin. That might be a burden. But then there's also a load. The load is, whatever happened in her past, however, however that shook out, she still now is trying to raise these children. We know, because Scripture tells us that, that a family unit is the best unit for, for kids to be raised in. We know that scientifically or mathematically or whatever else. History proves that out. Scripture tells us that. So a church, brothers, sisters, can come alongside a single mother in this context to help restore her out of that burden that she is bearing, but also help her carry that load. So men, are you stepping up to be the father figure? Women, are you helping out? Because she's doing all this by herself, trying to work as well as keep the home, as well as raise the children and do all those things. Let me give you another context. You have an elderly couple. So this world is full of sin. So not necessarily sin doesn't cause us to age, although maybe it feels like that sometimes. But because this world has fallen, right, they are aging. And they've lived this this whole life, and so the load they now have to bear is, how do they maintain their property? How How do they maintain their health? How do they maintain their home? How do they do the things that they often would take for granted because their body would allow them to do it? Are we as brothers or sisters helping to carry that with them? You see, if you sit and you think about it for a little bit and you think of even the context of our congregation, how do we help bear one another's burdens, restore, and at the same time then to carry our own loads? Now let me, let me talk about loads. So as we think about that, what he says here is, in the text, we'll go back to that. Let each one 
test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. I was talking with somebody about this just recently. I wish, I, I wish that I could save people, you know? Like I could, I wish that I had a, a spirit wand, I guess, or whatever, right? And I wish I could go around and I could be like, you know, you're saved, you know? And, and then I could go through for the congregation and you guys could tell me about stuff and I could be like, all right, well, now you're mature in this area and now you're grown in this area. And you, I, don't, I don't have that, right? All I can do is stand up here and seek to be faithful. to re- all, all I can do is read God's word to you regularly and seek to give you a, a biblical and appropriate interpretation of it so that the Holy Spirit can do the work and apply it in your lives. And one day you will have to give an answer for how you apply what I say, what God's word says. Let me clarify that. Who cares what I say? You will have to give an account for how you apply what God's word says. I will have to give an account, not for how you apply God's word, but for how I interpret and speak God's word. Which is why from this pulpit, as long as I'm here, I'm going to read God's word, whether it offends you or not. I don't really care. Because when I stand before God, he's going to say, why didn't you say it this way? Or why didn't you say it the way? And, and I love you, but I am not willing to answer to my almighty king for you. And you should not be willing to answer for the almighty king for me. And praise the Lord. What he says right here is we're not going to have to. Each will have to bear their own load. So there is a reality of burdens. There is an imperative for mutuality because we are in this together. And here is the myth of self-sufficiency. This is a body of Christ. He says in there, uh, you might think you're something, but you're really nothing. And so this is an old saying. For some of you, it won't make sense anymore. For some of you, you'll laugh because you know about it. But we used to say things like, that, that person thinks they're all that in a bag of chips. What that means is, is that they're too big for their britches or things like that. There's all kinds of stories in Scripture for this. Think of Saul and David. So mark yourself and assess yourself. And at the same time, here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to carry these two things in equal measure with them. There are burdens that we need to be helping one another with. Are you helping? And secondly, there are loads that you should be carrying. Because the other part of that is when you aren't carrying that load, somebody else has to. Again, think of these ants. They're working together. So let's move on to the next head of today's message. Uh, the next thing is supporting ministry. And I'm going to just talk about this real lightly, uh, partially because uh, you, you don't, uh, I don't know if there's a good way to say this, really. Uh, how I was going to say is you don't, you don't smack the dog. If, if you tell the dog, sit, and the dog sits, then you don't smack the dog, even the dog a treat, but that's a bad illustration. So forget that I said that. I just shouldn't have said it. But supporting of ministry, I just got done saying thank you for your all support of ministry, right? So, but I just want to clarify some things to you so that uh, whether this is your home church or if God ever calls you anywhere else or we can look at ministries online or in other places and we can kind of have some general idea of what that should look like. And so Galatians 6, 6 says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, sometimes preachers use this to abuse this. Sometimes uh, congregations use this to abuse their, their teachers. Luke 10, 7 says, 
uh, when Jesus was sending them out, he says, to remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. So here's the three points that I would give you on this, okay? There. So what this should be, what this should be is gracious and generous. What a congregation should look like with this is that the pastor should not be in poverty. It should be given out of generous and glad hearts. Scripture tells us that it should be a gift. And it should be a joy-filled expression of the gratitude of which God has given to you. Now, we could get into the difference between tithes and offerings and all those kind of things, but the text doesn't do that for us today, and I want to spend more time on the second part of this, so I'm not going to do that either. If you have questions about that, then see me afterwards if you want to. But that's what this should be in supporting the ministry. And you guys did great with that, didn't you? You're supporting the ministry of positive options as they reach out to this community. You're supporting the ministry of the scurrings as they're seeking to reach uh, people. You're, you're, you're supporting my wife, my family, Drew, uh, in, in us uh, teaching this. Now, here's what this should not be. This should not be dutiful legality. You should not feel guilt in this. And you should not allow the pastor, the preacher, or the teacher to guilt you into it. It should also not be a way to grease. Do you know what I mean by that? A bribe. Some congregations believe it to be the case that if, if you're paying me a certain wage, then I should tell you what you want to hear, right? Uh, be, because you're paying my salary, I tell you what you want to hear. That's not how this is going to work. That's not how it should be. It also shouldn't be gratuitous. Now, I'm, I'm okay with with fancy clothes and fancy watches and fancy houses and cars and stuff, if, if that's your thing and if, if that's what you want to spend money on and, and you're not taking away from your other responsibilities, I think that's fine. But I have to tell you, there, there's a special kind of... Uh, there's a special kind of... I, hate is not is a strong word, but I'm going to use it. I hate it when I see or when I hear pastors... I can't even call them pastors. I hate it when I see or when I hear people on pulpits using scripture to then ask for money. Um, they're all decked out in their nice fancy suits and they've got their big fat watches or they come up in their nice cars and stuff and they tell the people of the congregation, hey, sow a seed and it's going to be blessed. Just, you know, you give a little bit, but if you're not generous, don't expect God to bless you generously and, and whatever you give, he's going to give back. And, and, and these people uh, uh, ruthlessly and heartlessly take advantage of people's desire to be loved by the most high God and they think that they can buy their blessings and so that is what this should not be it should not be gratuitous John Piper one of my favorite pastors and I'll use that term for him I think that there is a living wage that is right that any pastor should get in any kind of context in what they live in right so if like if we were living in Hollywood the livable wage there is going to be different than it is here in Allegan, Michigan. That's just how it's going to be. But once the pastor is at an appropriate livable wage for the area that he's at, I don't think he should 
ever ask for a raise, and if he is given a raise by the congregation, it should be because of their desire to bless over and abundantly the pastor who's in that position. And I think that because, quite frankly, my treasure is not in this world. My treasure is in heaven. And so lastly, then the question is, so what is it to you? Because uh, supporting the ministry ought to be, and, and maybe this will be interesting to you, in this text, the same root word here is this word for koinonia. Do you know what koinonia is in the Greek? If you've, if you've been in church for a while, maybe you know. If you don't, it's this word for fellowship. It's the same kind of thing with the ants. The ants are bringing the sugar out of our pantry through the cracks of our house into the dirt until they get raid. <laughs> but they're, doing the sh- they're bringing the sugar out of the pantry of our house through the cracks of our house down into the dirt out of joy to sustain their colony, to provide for those in the rest of their colony. They're not saying to one another on the way back through like, oh, you've got two kernels of, uh, of sugar. I've got three. Look at how good I am. Look at what I'm bringing in the storehouse. None of them ever have that conversation Not primarily because they can't talk. That's not the point of what I'm saying here. They're doing those because they have fellowship. They have koinonia. They're sharing all things. They have things in common. That is what this should be, I hope, to you. That the reason that you are giving, if you are giving, whatever amount you are giving to this congregation is not because that's the right thing to do, although I do think Scripture bears that out, but you're giving to this congregation because this is your family, and as a provider for the family, it is my joy to bring the check home to my wife. It's, it's not my money. I don't have my own bank account. I come and I bring it to her and I say, all right, now how are we going to use this to bless our family best? So that's what you're doing when you give here. It's a fellowship that we're giving together because this is how we provide for things like funeral services. This is how we provide for the missionaries we send out. This is how we provide for the student ministry that we do and the kids ministry. This is how we have a benevolence fund for when one of us goes through a time of hardship and we need a bill paid. So lastly, the third head, sowing and reaping. Paul talks about this in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, okay? Sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 7 through 10 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So here's the three subpoints: The reality of judgment, the imperative of obedience, and the myth of fruitless faith. Firstly, then, the reality of judgment. You see in the text here, it says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. That is a command and a statement. Do not be deceived. What does that mean? Well, we so often think to ourselves that we can get away with it. I was just having a conversation. We were, uh, at, the, at the end of the day, we were sitting, we were watching a TV show, and somebody was robbing a bank, and we said something about, yeah, and it, something, something, if they get away with it. 
And the answer is, well, they're never actually going to get away with it. There will be a judgment day. There will be an answer for that transgression. Now, of course, this is a movie, and so nobody really stole anything. It's all fake garbage anyway, right? But the, the point is, is we can sometimes deceive ourselves and think like, hey, we're going to get away with it. There is no uh, uh, harvest for what we are sowing. And the answer is, no, 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 there is going to be a harvest. God is not mocked. That's the statement. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, you also reap. My family likes sweet corn. We talked about this, right? And we like popcorn. If we sow sweet corn, we don't expect popcorn. If we sow popcorn, we don't expect sweet corn. And why would you? I was reading these commentaries. This one, I, I love it. He's talked about, you know, as Christians, we show up on Sunday and we, we put on all this garb and this stuff like that. And, and, and by the way, I don't like how he, how he wrote it only because I would say, well, why are we calling these people Christians, okay? But if this is true for you, friend, then question your salvation. We show up on Sunday and we we hang out and we we look fancy and nice and we sing songs and all those kind of things. And then Monday through Saturday, we sow to the flesh on a regular basis. And we deceive ourselves in thinking that we are then going to harvest from the Spirit in the day of judgment. one who sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So this is why there's an imperative of obedience. I want to show you in Scripture. This is from uh, Exploring Galatians. This is an expository commentary, okay? So I'm going to read it directly from there. Enoch sowed to the Spirit and reaped rapture. Noah sowed to the Spirit and reaped salvation. Abraham sowed to the Spirit and reaped a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Joseph sowed to the Spirit and reaped the most Christ-like character and disposition in the Bible. Moses sowed to the Spirit and reaped a place on the Mount of Transfiguration. Joshua sowed to the Spirit and reaped the conquest of Canaan. Hannah sowed to the Spirit and reaped Samuel. David sowed to the Spirit and reaped a royal covenant. Hezekiah sowed to the Spirit and reaped the deliverance of Jerusalem. David sowed to the Spirit and reached the high praise of heaven. Mary sowed to the Spirit and reaped the Christ. Jesus sowed to the Spirit and reaped a multitude that no man can number, whose name are written forever in the Lamb's book of life. Peter sowed to the Spirit and reaped Pentecost. Paul sowed to the Spirit and reaped a crown. Stephen sowed to the Spirit and reaped an open heaven. John sowed to the Spirit and reaped the vision of Patmos. There's another story. There's an elderly brother who came to another elderly brother. The one was a, a, a member of the congregation. The other was a, a preaching pastor who had been faithful there. The, the elderly brother was new to the congregation. And after one Sunday service, he came up to him. He says, I wish that I had had your biblical insight. And the old preacher paused for a minute and he said, you're 50 years too late. I've been preaching and studying the Word of God for 50 years. If that was something you wanted to reap, you ought have began sowing far, far earlier. That's why this is a myth of fruitless faith. But here's also the part of this. It's been a little heavy. The myth of fruitless faith goes both ways. 
You see, I think often when we think about this, the myth of fruitless faith is, hey, I can be a Christian, I can claim to be a Christian, and then have no real fruit in my life. And that's, that's a myth. That's, you're not saved. If there's no fruit, then you're, then you're dead. That's just how it works, right? Um, we have blueberry bushes that have not yet produced a crop of blueberries. There's leaves on them, <laughs> but no blueberries. Uh, my parents just had a tree cut down. There was no leaves on that tree. We know that it was dead. But the second part of the myth of fruitless faith is this. Sometimes in this life, beloved, we don't see the fruit. But that doesn't mean it's not there. And Paul understands that, and he wants us to understand that. Look at the text. This is what he says. This is why I want to end this way. He says in verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Why would he even have to say that? Because Paul knows what it's like to grow weary. He was shipwrecked for his faith. He was persecuted for his faith. Every church this dude planted, he had to write a letter to later because they were messing things up. And so Paul doesn't always even see the fruit of his labor. But guess what? We're here. We have this book of Galatians. I don't know that Paul in his wildest dreams would be able to imagine us today standing here, well, sitting around discussing his letter to these Galatians, talking through circumcision, so law versus grace, and yet here we are. And so this myth of fruitless faith cuts both ways. Beloved, if you are here today and there is no fruit in your life, then here's the deal. You may not have faith, but brother or sister in Christ, here's the other part of what I want to tell you. You may have great faith and you may seek to be plodding through this life and you may be wondering to yourself, when am I going to see the breakthrough? When am I going to see the fruit? When am I going to have the answer to that question? And here's what I'm going to tell you. The myth of fruitless faith is a myth. You will have fruit and you may not even receive it until that day where you are ushered into the kingdom and you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he's going to reveal to you all these truths and you're going to see all the people whose lives you've touched and all the things that were different in this world because you sought to be faithful in even the small ant-like things of your life that you plotted through and did what the work in due season when it was time to do it and you didn't grow weary and he will say to you well done good and faithful servant and so he says so then as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith why because we're family because we can survive a flood when we gather together So don't grow weary of doing good. Now Paul's going to end next week by telling us what it is we should boast in, the power of our salvation, and telling the Galatians in closing and telling us in closing this power of the cross. But for today, let's close in prayer. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We, we praise you, God, that you are faithful. We thank you that you are impartial. Uh, We thank you that we can boast in you. You have given us your spirit that we might bear with one another. We thank you that you have uh, given us this spirit to empower us to do these things. God, we we thank you uh, that you've given us the means and the ability to support various ministries, to support one another in the ministry. And we praise you, God, that you allow us to harvest that which we sow. You know, you use agricultural terminology, and Jesus did as well. And so help us to understand and be patient. 
Help us to understand that that which we sow, we will reap. But it has to be in your timing. For you are a God who gives not only the early, but the late rains. So help us to be faithful. Help us not to grow weary. Help us to be pursuing you daily and allowing the daily pursuit to take care of the weekly, the monthly, the yearly, the eternal. We ask that in your name and for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and and sing.